Welcome to another book lunch. That's the theme song that I wrote. Um, I think we, I think I wrote it when we started doing this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you're in here. Get in my chair. Um, there's a lot to cover today. Um, more than I think usual because, well, this book we're doing today. Oh boy, among other things, is just such a phenomenal book. I mean... The book in question, of course, is Jean Baudrillard's America. Um, we're going to talk about more than that, of course, um, as I always do. But this is the book lunch, and um, it's noon, and um, I hope everybody's recovered from all the technical glitches of uh, F the FB being down and all the rest of it and having to reset numbers and digits and, and um, bots and the things that pertain to our present. Um, I want to say a couple of things because I would be remiss if I did not um, about Cormac McCarthy. Now, um, and, and Robert Gottlieb. Now, uh, there, was a, there was a post uh, reminding everybody that Robert Caro is doing a, one of his many volumes on LBJ. And he said, well, don't worry. My editor is his, his, his past, um, unfortunately, but this volume is going to come out. Anyhow, Robert Gottlieb was such a such a major editor and major just just major figure in the literary world, and um, I you know, I felt like I wanted, I needed to mention him, and of course Cormac McCarthy. Now next year in twenty I think twenty well yeah in the fall, so I think before twenty twenty four, I'm going to try and choose a um, McCarthy book for book lunch. And I'm most likely going to choose Blood Meridian. If you've read it, haven't read it, it's, I think it's his finest novel. Um, so that's, that's, that's in the far future, I guess, a new future. So he won't be forgotten uh, here on Journey of Sleep podcast at book lunch. Um, but I thought, you know, uh, Baudrillard is really um, part of a, of a, of a, um, a kind of, how do I put this? Uh, um, celebration, maybe, or inquiry um, into French thinkers of the contemporary period. And of course, the other day, I think it was two days ago, we have a show on Foucault with Michael Berendt. And today we're doing John Baudrillard. And John Baudrillard wrote a book called Forget Foucault. Isn't that interesting? Anyhow, it's a story about me and Baudrillard, or rather not, not necessarily me and Baudrillard the man, but his work. I was on a Delta airline, I think in 1988, and I was going, returning to Boston from Tampa, Florida. I had some business there in Florida with uh, the family business. And um, I had with me the collected works of Baudrillard. I believe edited by, by Mark Poster. And I was reading this thing and I was traveling. I think I, I know I was in coach. Um, and I also know uh, there was an other gentleman some hours down with the same Baudrillard book, same edition. 
And I'm looking, I'm looking, he's, we're both, I mean, that, that's, I mean, <laughs> this total stranger, of course, given the times, I mean, it's, it's hard to realize maybe now for those that, that are, that are too young or for those that, that gives you an indication either of, you know, something sort of magical or mystical on maybe, but maybe not because Baudrillard was really that widely read and studied back then. And some of you that know the movie, The Matrix, or are fans of that movie, I am not, but for those of you that are, um, Baudrillard is one of the major influences on that film. And in fact, there's a funny, I think there's a funny um, interview where Baudrillard said he didn't like The Matrix very much. It's always very much the Frenchman, French, oh, The Matrix, but you know who one of your filmmakers is good? David Lynch. Now he makes masterpieces. So he said, forget about the matrix. And for the best expression of my ideas, watch Mulholland Drive by David Lynch. So Baudrillard was an interesting guy, but you have to give him credit um, for influencing a major blockbuster movie like The Matrix, which he claims misunderstood and mis, uh, mishandled his ideas. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on that. It's, it's you know, it's, a, it's a, this show is not about the Matrix. Or, or, um, uh, although, um, you know, if I had world enough in time, I would be, we would be here all day and I would show scenes from the Matrix and I would interview Keanu Reeves and I would talk to the sisters that made it and talk about the movie Bound, which is, I think, far greater film of theirs um, or whatever. And we'd, we'd be here all day. Doing all this stuff because on my podcast I'm interested in so many things. I I I, I have to confess, but um, well, <laughs> but here's the thing: you gotta focus, you know, and you gotta you gotta um, at least I have to go deep into something to really appreciate it, and um, that's what I want to do with this book today, America. Um, so this is what the original book looked like. This is what you would see, this, this photograph. Of course, that is the West, or at least a uh, photographic representation of the West or a desert. Um, I want to um, approach this the way I would approach a poem or a piece of music or sculpture or a painting, or the way I'd approach any art object that humans make or perform or dance, I mean, I, you know, I got really crazy idea. I thought one of these days on one of these shows, I'm going to show the Robin Williams, John Ritter duet from 1977 at the improv. They, they performed for 20 minutes and it's John Ritter and Robin Williams in 1977 doing the most spontaneous, you know, and sort of dig into that performance to talk about, you know, not only, I mean, not only just great humor and just um, exuberance and, and, and passion and creativity, but just, you know, to show that we do all kinds of things here. And we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to, um, I'm going to get into that at some point. I'd like to uh, um, get into that, but let's get into Baudrillard. Now, Baudrillard's uh, made his name as the movie, The Matrix will indicate for um, philosophy and theory. And he developed some very complex ideas about the modern world. So the dumb, the dummy's thumbnail version of that is that he felt that in the contemporary world, 
that reality or the real was being replaced by symbolism and, and, and um, signs and actually meanings. This is why I always laugh when people say we suffer from nihilism today. So many public commentators say that. And actually Baudrillard said, uh-uh, we have too much meaning. Uh, I think it's a famous interview. He says, well, we're suffocating from meaning, not the lack of meaning. So many ideas. But anyhow, I don't, I don't want to do uh, a disservice to Baudrillard because that, that, that's not what this show is about. The show is about Baudrillard as a pro stylist, as a writer. And I want to I hope to convince you, if you need convention, by the end of this episode, that he's not only a philosopher or a theorist, he doesn't have not only have interesting ideas about, about um, authenticity or value or, or signs or symbols, but that he's a passionate, one of, the, one of the great writers and one of the great chroniclers of this country I live in, America. And I'll, we'll just dive into it. We'll, so here we go. Um, going to read uh, the first uh, um, the first passage here and I'm going to skip around in this book because it's sort of a travelogue book and he talks about so many things you know and I, I don't want to I don't want to scrimp on it but also I can't do everything you know I'll do what I do something so this is called vanishing point now I think that's a reference I should say don't worry I'm going to stop my annotation soon I'll get into the text but vanishing point I think is a, partly a reference to the great film with Barry Newman and Barry Newman, just one of the many actors who passed this month. I think he passed last week, um, which is a great race car movie. And uh, anyhow, but that's, but also, um, you know, what does he show? He shows the open road. See there, there's, that's America, right? That's the, that's the road. That's the highway. That's the strip. Now Baudrillard loves America. Well, he loves it and also in part is angered by it. Maybe a little bit hates it. Um, in other words, he's an artist. He, he doesn't, he doesn't deal um, artists working at the level of a Baudrillard that are really good. They don't live in a world of um, always black and white thinking. And they and that's not really, they're not, they're up They're up. He's operating in a different, a kind of a different um, level than that. And I think that's um, what's good about this book. But let's, let's, let's get into his prose because this isn't fair for me to go on and on without hearing from him. Vanishing point, caution. Objects in this mirror may be closer than they appear. Nostalgia born of the immensity of the Texan Hills and the Sierras of New Mexico, gliding down the freeway, smash hits on the Chrysler stereo, heat wave, snapshots aren't enough. We need the whole film of the trip in real time, including the unbearable heat and the music. We'd have to replay it all from end to end at home in a darkened room. Rediscover the magic of the freeways and the distance and the ice cold alcohol in the desert and the speed and live it all again on the video at home in real time. Not simply for the pleasure of remembering, but because the fascination of senseless repetition is already present in the abstraction of the journey. 
the unfolding of the desert is infinitely close to the timelessness of film. Okay, that's one paragraph. That's how he opens his book. I wish people wrote more like that today. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. This is a Frenchman. Again, this is not a book by a guy, you know, who was born here or who um, he's not. He's, he's, he's probably ignorant about many aspects of, of life in America. He's not on a, um, he's not clearly from that paragraph. He's not on a, a um, and this is a, a point of great contrast to writers today. He's not on a mission to save America or to defend America, neither. He's just trying to, he's, a, he's aesthetic. He's trying to come to terms with the sensual feeling of what is it like to be in this desert? What does it feel like in the car stereo and all these things? So that's, uh, that's one paragraph. Now, he has a lot of ideas in this book. So um, here's, here's, a, uh, here's a chapter called Monument Valley. Dead Horse Point and Grand Canyon. He says, geological and hence metaphysical, monumentality, by contrast with the physical altitude of ordinary landscapes, upturned relief patterns sculpted out by wind, water, and ice, dragging you down into the whirlpool of time, whirlpool of time, into the remorseless eternity of a slow motion catastrophe. The very idea of the millions and hundreds of millions of years that were needed peacefully to ravage the surface of the earth here is a perverse one since it brings with it an awareness of signs originating long before man appeared in a sort of pact of wear and erosion struck between the elements. So that's a, that's a, that's another example. So he's, he's, one of the unique things, of course, about these two passages um, and Baudrillard is he's weaving together sort of intellectual, theoretical, um, his, that background um, with completely sensual literary style. He's putting them together. It's incredible. Um, so... He writes so much about New York, and I gotta, you know, say so... I got to read from, from about New York, New York. And then when you get to the New York, this is what's great about first editions. Look at all these wonderful, this is what's great about all the books. You have this, look, you won't have, you won't have this in a little paperback edition. You know, this, this photograph of New York and MGM building this person, you won't have that. <sighs> no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read from that. Bear with me. Here we go. Why do people live in New York? There is no relationship between them except for an inner electricity, which results from the simple fact of their being crowded together. A magical sensation of contiguity and attraction for an artificial centrality. This is what makes it a self-attracting universe, which there is no reason to leave. There is no human reason to be here except for the sheer ecstasy of being crowded together. Now, again, in 1985, when Baudrillard is writing about being crowded together, that's not pejorative for him. In other words, it isn't like, oh, we're all cramped. It's, it's, not, it's not negative. It's, it's, you know, again, the time and place, you know. So um, he says in New York, there is this double miracle 
each of the great buildings and each of the ethnic groups dominate or has dominated the city after its own fashion. Here, crowdedness lends sparkle to each of the ingredients in the mix, whereas elsewhere, it tends to cancel out differences. Interesting. Cancel. So he's, he's saying that um, people, people the, the uniqueness of groups stands out. It's not canceled out. They can shine. They can, in a way, be themselves. I'm, again, I don't want to distort his text. I'm sort of adding, adding to it here. Um, uh, he talks about himself as a Frenchman and European in this following passage. And he lays his cards on the table and he says, well, look, this is who I am. And he introduces who he is into the text and says, well, we have to deal with who I am, but we also have to deal with the fact that what I'm not and, and what we're, you know. He said, we in Europe possess the art of thinking, of analyzing things and reflecting on them. No one disputes our historical subtlety and conceptual imagination. Even the great minds across the Atlantic envious in this regard. But the resounding truths, truths, the realities of genuinely great moment today are to be found along the Pacific seaboard or in Manhattan. It has to be said that New York and Los Angeles are at the center of the world, even if we find the idea somehow both exciting and disenchanting. So when Baudrillard has assertions and propositions, there are so many in this book, um, he doesn't state them in a moralistic context. He just states them. And they're kind of like his assertions are part of the poetry of the text, you know, as you're beginning to, beginning to um, uh, get into it here. Oh, uh, goodness. So I didn't even, I didn't use post-it notes this time. So I'm a little, hopefully. And this is a passage where he gets into his own theories about, you know, what I think America is. He says, America is the original version of modernity. We, when he says we, he means the Europeans. We are the dubbed or subtitle version. America ducks the question of origins. It cultivates no origin or mythical authenticity. It has no past and no founding truth. Having known no primitive accumulation of time, it lives in a perpetual present. Having seen no slow, centuries long accumulation of a principle of truth, it lives in perpetual simulation and a perpetual present of signs. It has no ancestral territory. Again, it's a uh, agree, disagree. It's beautiful. Like he's saying, he's trying to very abstract language. Whole book is like this. Whole book is like this. America has never been short of violence, nor of events, people, or ideas. But these things do not of themselves constitute a history. Octavio Paz is right when he argues that America was created in the hope of escaping from history, of building a utopia sheltered from history, and that it has in part succeeded in that project, a project it is still pursuing today. The concept of history as the transcending of a social and political rationality 
as a dialectical, conflictual vision of societies is not theirs, just as modernity conceived precisely as an original break with a certain history will never be ours. We have lived long enough now in the unhappy consciousness of this modernity to be aware of that Europe invented a certain kind of feudalism, aristocracy, bourgeoisie, ideology, and revolution. All this had meaning for us, but at bottom it had no meaning elsewhere. Interesting, right? Here's Baudrillard. There he is. Here's something. Americans are no keener today than anyone else today to think about whether they believe in the merits of their leaders or even in the reality of power. That would take them on too much a tricky ground. They prefer to act as though they believed in them on condition that their belief is not taken too much for granted. Governing today means giving acceptable signs of credibility. It is like advertising. It is the same effect that has achieved commitment to a scenario, whether it be a political or an advertising scenario. Reagan's is both at once. It is also successful. Now it has to be said that you know he 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 doesn't like Reagan, but he's you know of course, but he's using it as an example of um, looking at him aesthetically, sort of the idea of constructing this scenario and you believe in the scenario. And you put, I mean, we'll talk about this when I do my 70s movie next week, uh, next, uh, yeah, Friday, um, Monkey Friday. I'm going to talk about um, 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 70s visions of the public and like, uh, like community and street scenes and spectacles. And I think it might connect to this episode, this, I don't know, but I mean, I think, uh, I think this is, um, This is such a beautiful book. Um, when I see Americans, particularly American intellectuals, casting a nostalgic eye towards Europe, its history, its metaphysics, its cuisine, and its past, I tell myself that this is just a case of unhappy transference. History and Marxism are like fine wines and haute cuisine. They do not really cross the ocean in spite of the many impressive attempts that have been made to adapt them to new surroundings. So this is the part of Baudrillard that the left doesn't like, you know, kind of the sort of a little bit playful and let's sort of take in what's there and not say what side we're on, you know, you know, we'll, we'll, well, he has, a, you know, he'll, he'll have a, a Kurt, he'll have a um, obligatory attack on Reagan in one sentence but it's not an attack, you know, again, it's not moralistic. It's a rhetoric, not a moralism or not a proposition or not an assertion. It's a rhetoric of, um, it's a rhetoric, I would say of, um, um, it's aesthetic. It's a rhetoric of impressions and presence, I would say actually, and being present, you know, and um, this whole book is like that. So maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't, I don't know. Um, 
the way Americans, the way American cars have of leaping into action, of kicking off so smoothly by virtue of their automatic transmission and power steering, pulling away effortlessly, noiselessly eating up the road, gliding along without the slightest bump. The surfaces of the highways and freeways are remarkable, matched only by the fluidity of the car's performance. Braking smoothly but instantly, riding along as if you were on a cushion of air, leaving behind the old obsession with what is coming ahead or what is overtaking you. There is an unspoken agreement on collective driving here. In Europe, we have only the highway code. So again, Europe, America, he's always, he's always got, I mean, it's just um, So I could go through this book and just pick out all these, um, all these, um, all these passages. Um, now there's a chapter called Utopia Achieved and what is the photograph that you see that? That's that, that um, see that home there, that single family, there's a single family home, Utopia Achieved. Now, of course it's partly, um, is, he be, is he being, um, um, oh, I don't know if sarcasm is the word, no, is, is he, well, no, actually he thinks that he thinks that it was achieved. Uh, I mean, you could, if it depends on how you define utopia. Um, if you define utopia as um, like a certain kind of goal that you like the most, you you know, you or we or some or, uh, a particular group, we have this goal, we want this goal, we like this goal the most, and we achieve it. Maybe that's a kind of a redefinition of utopia, so that you know. Um, so one person's dystopia is another person's utopia. He says utopia achieved. Uh, but I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Desert forever. Again and again in this book, he keeps coming back to the desert, the desert, the desert. It's so important for him and to him. Even as much as New York. I mean, there's a lot on New York City, but the desert. So he said, desert, deserts forever. Desert. Interesting. The sunsets are giant rainbows lasting for an hour. The seasons here make no sense. In the morning, it is spring. At noon, it is summer and the desert nights are cold without it ever being winter. It is a kind of suspended eternity in which the year is renewed daily with the guarantee that it will be like this every day, that every evening will be that rainbow of all the colors of the spectrum in which light, after having rained all day long in its indivisible form, in the evening fragments into all the nuances of color that make it up before it finally disappears. Nuances, which are already those of the instant rainbow, catching fire in the wind on the crest of the Pacific waves. This is the invulnerable grace of the climate, privilege of a nature that completes that insane richness that is man's. This country is without hope. 
Even its garbage is clean. It's trade lubricated, the traffic pacified, the latent, the lacteal, the lethal. Life is so liquid. The signs and messages are all so liquid. The bodies in the car is so fluid. The hair so blonde and the soft technology so luxuriant that a European dreams of death and murder, of suicide motels, of orgies and cannibalism to counteract the perfection of the ocean, of the light, of that insane ease of life to counteract the hyper-reality of everything here. Hyper-reality is a term he kind of invented, you know, to describe what to him then was um, our current moment. And hyper-real does not mean unreal or fake. It's a very, it's a very complex term, and, you know. This is not the place or time to get into discussing Baudrillard's theories and his terms. Um, but uh, a, a, a clue is his love for David Lynch. I mean, you see how much he loved Mulholland Drive and there's, there's a little sense of where he, where, a little bit where he's coming from, I think. Because in David Lynch's films, there's Americana, right? There's kind of, you know, he, you know, Blue Velvet, there's always like the firemen and the, and the you know, and this is an interesting, interesting thing there. That's John, John Baudrillard's America. Um, that's our book lunch for today. It's 1230. I'm, um, I think I'm going to stop for now because I have a lot of projects coming up. I've got to do this movie episode next Friday, in which I'm very excited because um, I'm doing a lot of films, you know, and I want to get ready for that. And um, I'm actually having the honor of talking again to Thomas More. Um, he's 82. He's just written a book about solitude and emptiness. It's a remarkable book. It's called The Eloquence of Solitude. And he and I are going to meet on video like this face-to-face -face and record a, um, an episode. I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about the – and then, of course, July is coming, and I'm going to do a little piano thing here and talk about some music I'm working on on July 6th, if you come here and – uh, that's our uh, fifth season. And, um, you know, when I do a book like this, I never know how long I'm going to go. I mean, I thought maybe I'd show Baudrillard talking and scenes from movies. And um, I thought it would be nice just to stick with this, um, stick with this first edition book here. And, um, and I uh, hope I wasn't too, wasn't too boring and you got something out of it. And I hope uh, everybody here has a, um, a decent Father's Day if you can, if you are celebrating that. And Monday is Juneteenth, of course. And uh, I don't know if you can see him, but that, that guy back there in the white safari-type jacket uh, wrote a whole piano album called Juneteenth in 2015. And he was my teacher, piano teacher. And... Um, Get his album. Go, you know, it's great. Um, it's it's like a piano tone poem. It's like a suite about Juneteenth and about the African American experience, you know. And he um, there's 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 movements in there about strange fruit and Billy Holiday. It's just, I mean, it's he's great, Stanley Cow. So that that happened and that's happening. So I think that's enough. I think uh, thanks for joining me, and um, I will see you soon. Bye bye.